Welcome to the Happy Holy Podcast. I'm Anna Marie Frank, a doctor of traditional naturopathy and certified brain health professional. Now, those of you that know Happy Holy You, you know that we are all about health and well-being, and we combine all the physical aspects, nutritional aspects, as well as the energetic and emotional aspects to well-being. So on this podcast, you guys, you are going to get a variety of information with different topics that can range from brain health all the way to how your energy field impacts your overall health and well-being. Now, let me remind you that we are not giving medical advice on this podcast, and these are just our personal experiences and information that we are sharing. If you do have any physical or any mental challenges going on in your life, we highly recommend that you seek a medical professional that you have a strong relationship with. All right, you guys, we are going to get started. So here we go. All right, Dr. Josh, thank you for coming back on the Happy Whole You podcast. Yeah, it's fun to be here again. I really enjoyed our time last time, and uh, I think this will be even more fun now that we know each other better. Yes, and so I love that we were talking about, okay, well, what are we going to bring up today? What are we going to talk about? And what I love about you is like, you just never know who's walking through your door and what's going to about to happen. Yeah. I know you specialize in pain. You and I both know you could specialize in something, but there's all sorts of things that are going on with somebody. Yeah, yeah <laughs> absolutely. And I never set out to specialize in anything. In fact, like it's funny you bring it up. It's I, I almost think that naturopathic medicine is like the anti-specialty, right? Like here we are in this medical landscape where like you can have doctors that aren't just eye doctors anymore, but like cataract or glaucoma or like retina specialists, right? Or like I sent someone to a thumb specialist not that long ago. Like it's not just hand or it used to be upper extremity. So like now I think that like, yeah, naturopathic medicine, at least the way I see it, is this very broad and general field. And to be poetic about it or philosophical, it's that we take care of people. And that's different than taking care of like body parts. You know, of course those people have body parts, but like, I've never seen like a heart come waltzing into my office or like a pancreas. It's always been (laughs) in a, in a person, you know, and it's the person that deserves or needs to be treated. So yeah, for sure. It's always a surprise. I walk out in the waiting room. What's this going to be? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really more like a general practisioner now. Yeah, right? indeed. Looking at the I, whole person, and there's not many people that do that anymore. It, it's yeah. a thumb. <laughs> yeah, it's a, I think it's a good thing. I mean, certainly, listen, it has its place, right? And there's there's For even sure. people within my field of naturopathic medicine that have specialties, right? Specialties in like a population group, like children or women, or a special specialty in a disease, you know, entity like cancer doctors or or things like that. But for me, I, I felt like just the way that my brain works and the way I'm I'm constructed that broader, bigger picture view is just, is just what works for me. And uh, yeah, yeah. Pain, pain, it became, I think it became a specialty if you want to call it that just because so many people have it. Right. Like, so mm-hmm. it wasn't like I set out to find that it was like, had some competence, that person referred that person. And next thing you know, you got a bunch of people whose backs hurt, knees hurt, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. They're just showing up and yeah, all these things. Okay. So Give us a pain story. What's a pain story that you have for us that some people might be able to relate to? Yeah, I'm glad that you asked because we had talked about talking a bit about pain on this show today. And as I was on my hike, just I go for a hike every day. I was thinking about it. You know, people love stories and we can relate to them so much. And there was one in particular that happened to me or that I was a part of when I was in college. This is going back like 25 plus years ago. I grew up in Southern California. I was a surfer and I was at UCLA at the time. That's where I did my undergraduate training. So uh, there's a lot of good waves all along the coast, Southern California there, many of them accessible through this famous highway called PCH, Pacific Coast Highway. And so I had gone on a surf session with my friends, several of whom actually also became doctors. And we were heading home on PCH coming down, heading South through like the Malibu area. People have heard of that. And PCH is a fast and kind of scary road and there's no median in the center. So it's just like, you know, two-way traffic, right? And we came around kind of a bend, me and my college friends, and there was just, I don't know how else to describe it, but it's just a horrifying scene of a car accident that was a head-on collision, high rate of speed, two cars head-on smash, and we were like the first ones there. And here we are, like a bunch of 
college kids with sandy feet and board shorts and stuff. And like, but what do we do? Like we, we wanted to be like somewhat helpful. Someone had a cell phone, which was the early days of that called 911, <laughs> of course. But the scene that I encountered, we, we all jumped out of the car and ran to the respective uh, vehicles in this accident. And they were these two very similar, but like, it almost gives me chills thinking about it. Cause it was such a, it was like a really a powerful moment, but it, it was very similar and scary, but very different experiences that these two people were having. So the first car that I got to was a younger guy and he was probably like in his twenties and he was um, in, in terrible shape in terms of just like the injuries that he had. I don't want to get all gory and gruesome here, but it was, it was a yucky thing to see. And he was absolutely frantic, I guess would be the word, right? Just completely frantic, panicking, freaking out, screaming. And it was a, it was a gory situation. And then I, you know, some other people kind of came over to kind of assess that situation. I ran over to the other car and there was a, a guy who was significantly older. He was probably in his fifties or sixties. He was also in bad shape, like physical shape, but he was entirely calm, right? Like almost like in a meditative state, you know, I looked down, I could see his legs were smashed and his, there was blood creeping up his pant legs. I could see it. And it was just like, oh my gosh, this is like, I don't know if either of these guys actually don't know the outcome of this. I don't know if either of them lived or died or anything, but what, what, what I took away was, wow, like these guys are both in a very similar circumstance. That's super scary and super painful, right? Like that, that's, they're both going through something really similar. And yet the reactions that they're having are like completely polar opposites, right? And again, I don't know the outcome, but like my sense that I, when I walked away from that situation was like, I would rather be the guy who was calm, right? Like, like he he like found internal strength and understood, I'm sure what he was going through. I'm sure they're both in some sort of shock and it was a crazy and horrifying situation, but it was like, wow, like you can totally like how you react is in your control. Like the circumstances that you find yourself in smashing a car wreck or whatever is outside of your control, but how you respond to that situation that you're in is the only thing that you have that you can control, you know, and lots of philosophers and poets and whatnot have written about this. And um, listen, the same is true for pain, right? The same is true for pain. And I see that in the office all the time. And so that's a story that, uh, that, uh, yeah, it was, it was not a fun thing to experience, but there was, there was a lot of lessons inside of that gruesome experience that I, uh, that I, that I witnessed. Yeah, our our response to things is everything. How we choose to think will impact our biochemistry. So yeah, the guy choosing to be calm and breathing, he probably, you know, like that's way different than the adrenaline of the other guy who was very upset and using a lot of his energy to express how he was feeling. And so, you know, wow, that's incredible. There's no there's no right or wrong way to react. right? Right. But, but I think there are ways that like lead you toward, I don't know, a better potential outcome, you know? And like, I think that those people who have painful medical conditions, you know, maybe not an acute in- or an acute injury like these guys had, you know, like there are ways to kind of like temper your reactions or be in a little bit more of control, you know, mm-hmm. over the way that you react to the experience that you're having. And um, I think that it's hard to argue that that's not better, you know, that's, yeah. uh, and, and, and this is not, this, this doesn't mean that people shouldn't fully express their grief or right. express their emotions. That's not what it's about. It's not about stoicism in that sense. It's about, you know, be, be, temperance, you know, being in control. Yeah. So that's one pain story, you know, that, uh, that came to mind. Yeah. So, okay. Well, people that are in pain, you know, there's a lot of over the counter. We, I think we all know the medications people could take for pain are detrimental and that are very, I mean, the opioid issues that we have in this country, but let's, let's talk about like just somebody who has general aches and pains and, you know, they're like, Oh, I'll just go get a Tylenol or an ibuprofen because it's over the counter. It's safe. Right. Because it's just over the counter. Right. What's what's your take on over the counter medications like that, and how does that affect the body? Yeah, as you mentioned, ibuprofen and Tylenol being being safe, right? Of course, they're safe. I said, yeah, right, and then I realized what I really meant to say is like, yeah, right. You know, like they're, <laughs> they're, um, 
yeah, people don't like pain, right? We, we're, it's uncomfortable to us. And um, it, it's a biological signal and it's telling us that something's wrong. And the idea that that pharmaceutical companies, and it's been something that people have been in pursuit of for a long time, is just to eliminate that signal, right? And uh, and that's that's unfortunate for a lot of reasons, right? Number one, it's, it's a signal, a biological signal telling you something's wrong that you should probably pay attention to. And, uh, and then the tools that we have, and you mentioned these two, we can get into the details, ibuprofen and acetaminophen, you know, they do minimize pain signaling and, and in the case of ibuprofen, minimize inflammation as well, but it's not without risk. So let's, let's start. I mean, they, first of all, let's start, there are two different things, right? So I, let's start with ibuprofen, which I think is the prototypical non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug, NSAIDs, right? And the way that they work is they have three mechanisms of action, three things that they do. One is decrease pain. The other is decrease inflammation. And then the third is decrease fever. And the way that that happens is by the inhibition of enzymes, the suppression of the activity of an enzyme called cyclooxygenase, COX, COX-1 and COX-2. They're non-selective. And then that uh, stopping up that enzyme uh, creates this, this change in, in human biochemistry that reduces pain, that reduces inflammation and reduces fever temporarily. So that's, that, that's how they work. Is that, is that clear enough explanation? Yeah, no, that's great. So, I mean, I love how you pointed out like pain and discomfort is a biochemical response. This is your body telling you something's wrong. Mm -hmm. So if we go and we just take something to silence that signal we're doing ourselves a disservice. And, and so when we, when there's something wrong and there's an injury, our body will naturally go to try to repair the injury. So do these Tylenols and ibuprofen interrupt and slow down the healing process? Yes, they do. It's a great, it's a great insight. So that's what, you know, we can talk point by point about the problems with this approach, right? First one is the silencing of that signal basically silences the signal, right? It's like taking the, <laughs> it's like taking the batteries out of the fire alarm, right? Like the yeah. smoke alarm, you know, like <laughs> oh, smoke I love alarm's that going example. off and you're like, oh, that's, that smoke alarm's super annoying. Like, uh, you know, <laughs> let, let, let's, let's take the batteries out. Like, that's a bad idea. Like there's a fire, you know, you, you're, yeah. you're it's a signal for a reason. And when you suppress that signal, I've seen this countless times, people are like runners or whatever, surfers or something, whatever they are, they're doing their thing. And it causes pain. So they want to keep doing their thing. So they take a pain suppressor, often a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory, and then they go do their thing. Well, what's going to happen? Like the rest of the house is going to burn down, you know, like you're get your, you're suppressing a signal. So that's problem. Number one is just the risk of additional injury, right? Yeah. That's problem number one. Problem number two, you just alluded to is like, if inflammation is part of the natural normal healing response to an injury or a trauma, then suppressing it, you would expect would like decrease the rate of healing or inhibit it in some way. And yes, absolutely. That's definitely what happens. If you suppress inflammation with, you know, in the, in the part of a healing response, you will decrease the rate at which those tissues remodel, et cetera. Right. So yeah, that's definitely uh, problem number two, I would say, and there's more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. So what are what are some natural things that people can do to reduce pain? I know there's some things that I do when I'm, you know, have a little bit of an injury or yeah. you know, yeah, I like yeah. I woke up the other day, not the other day, but like a couple months ago, this is like this shows I'm aging a little bit. I slept on my arm wrong. I mean, this was like so bananas and I literally could not lift my arm up. It was so weird. And I, and I never took, actually, my mom was visiting. She's like, well, take some ibuprofen or take some time. I'm like, no mom, because I need to know what I did to my arm. And if I don't keep getting the signaling, like, I think I slept on it wrong, but could it be because I was coaching my kids volleyball and I was hitting volleyball, you know? So I'm like trying to figure out like, what is this weird injury right here in my deltoid? And then I was like, you know, I'm just going to take some cayenne pepper and, you know, some oils and put it on my arm and castor oil. And within, I slept with it, a compress overnight. And then I literally woke up and I had 50% of my range of motion again. Then I went to 80, then I went to hundred percent, but I never, I never took any meds. So my go-to is like something like cayenne pepper with some castor oil, but what, what are some other tips that you have for reducing inflammation? Oh, there's or so many. Pain? 
talk yeah, about. Yeah, right. Reducing pain and inflammation. Yeah, you you mentioned some good ones, right? Like I think that castor oil pack and that topical cayenne pepper. Those those are you know that had a, a good effect on you, and 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 also you didn't suppress the natural reaction to whatever that injury or trauma was. It's it's yeah. uh, it's hard to know exactly what it was, but <laughs> you're probably right. Some combination of activity the day before. <laughs> plus sleeping on it weird and compress something and it probably inflamed, which was what your body mm -hmm. needed to do. And then you recovered, you know, and you've sort of facilitated that recovery. You supported your reaction rather than suppressing it. And which is what the, what the drugs do. So there's a bunch of things, right? Like there's, and, and, you know, I'll, I'll I'm, I'm biased here, I, I suppose, because I also happen to be the a person who formulated a very, very popular product for the, for this, in, in this area, which is called Golden Revive Plus, but be, be that as it may, there's a bunch of ingredients there that that I included in that formula that are that are number one curcumin, which is a which is a turmeric extract. Yeah, a very high potency curcumin is targets some of the very same biochemical pathways, but in a more supportive and less suppressive kind of way. So I, I almost always the first answer that I would give to the what are the natural anti-inflammatories would be curcumin, uh, the turmeric extract. Another would be Boswellia frankincense, which is um, a famous, going back to biblical times, herb. Uh, it's a resin from from a tree that grows in the Middle East. It's hence its biblical significance. One of the it was one of the herbs given to the baby Jesus by the three wise men. I understand the biblical scholars will know that one. Uh, also, a useful anti-inflammatory. I use quercetin, which is a bioflavonoid molecule that's found widely distributed in food, but again used in supplemental form in a capsule, it can be a very potent anti-inflammatory. I also use bromelain, which a lot of people have heard of, but don't know of it. It's it's actually meat tenderizer, believe it or not. When you use meat tenderizer from like the spice rack, it's an enzyme called bromelain. That's the active ingredient. And what it does, it breaks up gristle, it breaks up scar tissue. And so bromelain is also useful in the healing response, especially to decrease the deposition of, um, of additional scar tissue at the site of an injury. Oh, that's cool. I also use magnesium in, in different forms, citrate, glycinate. We can talk all about that. And magnesium is very useful for the muscle tension. A lot of times when you have a shoulder thing like that, mm -hmm. you know, it hurts and your body's reaction is to like pull it in and like restrict its motion. And that happens with, that happens naturally almost like a splint with muscle tension. Magnesium can be helpful there. So there's a short list of some of my favorite yeah. natural pain relievers. Yeah. I love that. It's like, this is like new information for people, but this is like ancient information as well, right? Like these things have been around for thousands of years and yeah. yet we just, in this country, we're just not well-versed in it. And so I love that you're sharing some natural ways and these are like inexpensive ways as well that help the body heal and, you know, the side effects are, I mean... They're negligible. I mean, that's the thing. Yeah. Like, I think, <laughs> so you know, minimal. going back to the Tylenol and ibuprofen conversation just briefly, you know, sure, they are immuno, like, you know, anti inflammatory, but like at what cost, right? So, ibuprofen, yeah. in addition to those, like, suppressing the signal and, and all that stuff we talked about, it's also like, toxic to the GI tract, no doubt about it, like causes yeah. ulcers, you know, and then also toxic to the kidney. That's what ibuprofen and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories are. Tylenol is toxic to the liver. I mean, to the point that like, we're talking about 50,000 people a year getting admitted to the emergency room for Tylenol poisoning. Like these drugs are not without risk. And so, you know, when you, when you switch to natural alternatives, number one, you're like, Su supporting rather than suppressing the healing response because natural mm -hmm. products don't don't like suppress inflammation below natural occurring levels that should be necessary to support healing and two you do it without risk without risk of you know damaging your gi tract or damaging your liver or your kidneys you know it seems like yeah. to me it shouldn't be alternative medicine right it just seems like normal yeah. natural good medicine to me yeah i you know i always was gosh, when I had my children and then every two hours they would come in and want to give me a Tylenol, rotating Tylenol and ibuprofen. And I remember I'm like, what? Like I just had a baby and they're trying to give me like all of these meds. And I was like, this is like weird to me. Right. Like I just, I didn't need them. I was like, well, I don't really need this. And I remember the nurse telling me, oh, well, you want to get ahead of it. And I'm thinking to myself, this is so weird. Like what did women used to do? Like, I understand like there's a time and a place, but like you are dosing me like yeah. nonstop after having a child. And then, you know, 
with children too, like when they get a, a small fever, oh, we'll give them Tylenol, give them ibuprofen. It's like, what is this doing to our children when you are having a pediatrician tell you to rotate these when your kid is having a little bit of a fever? And so as I started to like myself, my son is 14 years old. When I started to like bring awareness around, like he was having struggles with eczema and these different things. And I started to really deep dive into like, wait a minute, because the only thing they're doing is they're telling me to like, essentially drug my kid and put steroids on his skin. And the skin is the biggest organ. And I just kept getting red flag after red flag. So then I started to like, look into like, what should I be doing? What are some natural things? And that was a part of my journey to get me to where I was, was Mm -hmm. having kids and, you know, my own, my own issues that I had. But it it doesn't make sense to me. It does yeah. not add up. And so, so I love so frustrating. It, it's also like in the birth situation, it's like medicalizing a problem or creating a medical problem out of something like labor and delivery natural. is not a medical problem. It's, no. it's, just, it's just not like people have been doing it. it. It can turn into a medical problem. Don't. Yes. You know, no mistake about it. Right. It certainly can. There can be medical complexities there, but this is a normal, natural biological process, just like the healing from an injury, just like the fever in response to an infection. And generally speaking, the body does a pretty good job. If it's well-nourished, you know, if it's well cared for, it has what it needs. It can overcome a lot of things, including, you know, uh, getting a baby out, including, you know, recovering from a painful or stiff shoulder, including recovering from a fever. Now, don't get me wrong, right? Of course, there are times where medical interventions, more invasive ones, are necessary, life-saving. Oh yeah, emergency. Almost, almost miraculous for sure sometimes. Yeah. But in the in 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 the general course of life for these kinds of more minor type of medical problems or or issues that aren't really medical problems at all, it's it's unfortunate and even dangerous to pathologize them and make problems where where problems didn't exist before. Pro tip on the birth side, I, I have three kids. They are 21, 20, and 17 now. And all three of them were born at home. And so that's that's the way that we avoided the uh, excessive uh, interventions that, that, that you, that you speak of. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They're excessive. That's a whole nother podcast. Like, wow. All right. So we talked about ibuprofen and then Tylenol. So let's just share real quick what Tylenol is doing as well to the body, to the liver, everything. Yeah, totally. It's a different it's a different class of medications. Tylenol, also known as acetaminophen, is not a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory. In fact, it's not anti-inflammatory at all. People don't understand that. Tylenol does not reduce inflammation at typical doses. It reduces pain by reducing pain signaling, and it also reduces fever, and it does so quite effectively. It's a different set of biochemical pathways than than the way non-steroidal anti-inflammatories work. And Tylenol does a couple of things that are problematic. Most importantly, it's adverse effects on the liver, right? So Tylenol is a drug that when it goes in, uh, gets absorbed, goes directly to the liver where it is detoxified, just like everything else. The liver detoxifies stuff that we eat, medicines that we take, herbs, whatever it is, goes through the liver for processing. And Tylenol is very demanding in terms of like the amount of processing it requires. It's a fancy cytochrome P450 system that the liver uses to metabolize, detoxify this drug. And in doing so, it depletes the liver of this substance that you've heard of, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of called glutathione. Glutathione is rapidly used up in the detoxification of Tylenol. And when you run out of of glutathione, the Tylenol becomes much more toxic, especially to the hepatocytes, the liver cells themselves. And that is why Tylenol is so liver toxic. And um, it is like very liver toxic. You know, people take Tylenol in all these different forms. Sometimes they take one version for their pain. They take another version in like the nighttime cold medicine that they took. They take another version in their headache medicine, you know, and so a lot of times people don't even realize that they're taking more Tylenol than, than they ought to be, or than is recommended. And they wind up with, with liver failure as, as a result of that. And there are, I think it's over 50,000, maybe close to 60,000 hospitalizations, emergency room visits for Tylenol overdose annually, and hundreds and hundreds of deaths from it too. Some of them accidental and tragically, some of them on purpose too. People use Tylenol as a mechanism by which to commit suicide because it's such an effective liver poison. So that's that's a tragedy and a, a story for another podcast entirely. For our purposes, one of the things that's fascinating about this is that if a person finds themselves poisoned by Tylenol, whether it was on accident or on purpose, there is antidote. And the antidote is, is a natural product, actually. It's called NAC, N-acetylcysteine, 
which yep. is widely available as a dietary supplement and used in emergency rooms, usually intravenously for, for Tylenol poisoning. Why? Because NAC dramatically increases glutathione in the liver. So if you get poisoned by Tylenol, taking N-acetylcysteine will increase your liver's capacity or its ability to detoxify it. So there's a little rant on Tylenol for you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I use this for people that have had high Tylenol use, even for their kids. There's NAC glycine powder that I get from a company and it works really, really well. And they just yeah. take that for a little bit of time just to support the liver and get that glutathione producing again. Yeah, I, I like say N-acetylcysteine, you know, it's like my favorite amino acid. And then I like, I hear myself saying that and I'm like, that is like the nerdiest thing. Like, <laughs> like, I'm like, did I just say like, I have a favorite amino acid? Like, geez, like, <laughs> it's like the most cringy thing to say. <laughs> but, I hey. love it. Uh, yeah, I love it. We're dorks. We can't help yeah, ourselves. Yeah, hey. uh, so share with everyone also, if you will, why a fever is actually can be good for you. Yeah. Oh, for sure. So we, you know, it's, I think it's just like a, a piggyback on the previous conversation, right? Like inflammation is your body's normal, natural response to healing and fever is your body's normal, natural response to invasion by a microorganism, right? So that's, it's, the body is, it's a beautiful thing. Like it works, you know, it's a great system. Okay. You get invaded by something like, let's say it's a bacteria or a virus that's in your nose or mouth or throat or lungs or something. Right. And it could be anywhere. And those organisms, those microorganisms, they have a very narrow temperature range that is ideal for them to live and grow. And it turns out that that temperature range is our body temperature for the, a lot of the pathogenic ones, right? So if you get a virus or a bacteria that's like strep throat or something that's in your throat, it likes 98.6. That's what it likes the best, right? And so your body kind of has a wisdom, like an internal wisdom. And it's like, all right, we've been invaded by strep or whatever. And that organism likes 98.6. So let's ratchet up the thermostat, right? Boom, 100, 101, 102, right? Maybe even higher. And uh, up the temperature goes. Why? Well, to make your body, your throat, wherever it is, inhospitable to the organism, right? The organism doesn't like 102. Now, neither do we, by the way. It feels awful. It's a horrible <laughs> feeling. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not a comfortable feeling, but you're elevating your body temperature uh, at your own expense, right? Because it feels so bad to make your body inhospitable to the organism that has invaded you. It's a normal, natural physiologic response. And in the vast majority of cases, not all, but in the vast majority of cases, it is not dangerous. Um, mm -hmm. There are times where it's excessively high or it gets excessively high, excessively fast, where fevers can be dangerous and they can also be extremely unpleasant at very high temperatures. So there are times where suppressing a fever is not an unreasonable thing to do. But in the vast majority of cases, suppressing the fever is not necessary. It's a, it'll come down on its own. You can support it, right? With warm or cold towels, as it were, or warm or cold baths or in a sauna when a person's feeling really chilled. And if you suppress your fever artificially with drugs, that will make your body more hospitable to the organism. And there is some study about this demonstrating that the more you suppress the fever, the longer it will take for your immune system to recover because it's part of your response. So that's how it works. Yeah. Makes sense. Our bodies are genius. Yeah. <laughs> if we, if we allow them to do their thing and quit getting in the way, yeah, we're good. At you know, getting I, made, I made a video recently. You just reminded <laughs> me of like, I made a video about about a few different topics, but at, at the end, I, I I made this statement that seems like it already, like it just posted recently, like resonated with a lot of people. And the statement was, you are not broken, right? Mm, um, and yeah. I was talking about in this particular case, irritable bowel syndrome and just saying like, there's something wrong with you. You know, there's a bunch of things that could be wrong. Like, here's a list of things that could be wrong. Like you're not broken, you know? And like you're my point there, like I want to expand upon that is like, yeah, it, the body is, it's a beautiful thing. Like it's amazing. Like all the little dials that are in there and the regulatory situations that can occur in response to infection in response to invasion, trauma, injury, whatever, nutrition, all the little, the little details. It's this miraculous jigsaw puzzle of highly orchestrated biochemistry and physiology and we should respect that and uh, I don't know, not quite worship it, but like, you know, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And if we, if we were like pay homage to that, I think like we would, we would do a lot better in our, in the management of our health and wellness, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I love that. Like I interviewed a mental health professional and he said, what if nothing was wrong with you to begin with? Right. And and I love how you're saying that too, because the truth is what if really nothing is really wrong? It's just your body responding and doing the thing that it does, you know? And then, yep. so it's like, we just, yeah, we get in the way. And so uh, I just, I love that saying, what if nothing is really truly wrong it's yeah, just right, right. your body's response and yeah and, and that's um, like your shoulder go back to your shoulder like something happened to your shoulder you know like it, yeah. you got injured in volleyball maybe there was a little repetitive strain on a tendon maybe your rotator cuff or something then you yeah. kind of squished on it and slept on it weird and like it was just doing what shoulders do when that <laughs> happens to them that's all it was right, right and like you know and then like you know then it, but then what happens to most people not you but what happens is like they're like oh my god like there's something wrong. Like I have a frozen shoulder. I got to go see an orthopedist. I got to go yes. whatever. And like, I got to take drugs, you know? And like, you know, it's like, we freak out, you know, it's like the guy in the car accident I talked about. It's like, Hey, chill, you know, it's your shoulders reacting. Like, let's just like ride this wave. Sorry. I'm a surfer, you know, and see <laughs> like, you know, see what's at the end of it. You know, like it, it, it's, it's not always, doesn't always require, you don't always have to react, you know, so strongly to every, to everything. And uh, yeah. 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 Oh, hundred percent. Okay. I want to do kind of like a lightning round before we get off because I love your Instagram. I learned so much from you. It's like so incredible. And I love, I love that you're so direct and to the point with all your things because I'm a very direct communicator myself. So I, I appreciate that where some people do like the story and some people want all the touchy feelies and all that. And so anyways, my love language is very direct. So with a lightning round, I went through and I pulled a couple things off of your Instagram, some videos you did. So those of you that haven't been following Dr. Josh, these are some videos that he did and I want him to give you the 411 on it. So you did a video on, I don't have IBS. I mean, cause a lot of people are like, oh, I have IBS, I have IBS, I have IBS. And I think it's interesting that just because, you know, a doctor tells you, you have this, I like to say your body's experiencing symptoms of something, right? you know, but okay. So does everyone have IBS? How many people have IBS? Is this like really that common or what is going on, Dr. Josh? I mean, it seems like everyone has IBS, right? If you look at the statistics, it's shocking numbers, right? And IBS is like a prototypical garbage pail or garbage bin diagnosis, right? And what that means is that like you exclude, doctors excluded everything else. There's some genuine pathologies in the GI tract, ulcers, gastroparesis, inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's or colitis or celiac disease from gluten, right? So when all of those things have been excluded, right? The person doesn't have anything that we could find, right? With a lab test, with an imaging study, with a colonoscopy or whatever, they get left with whatever's left, right? A waste bin or a garbage pail diagnosis, which is which is IBS. But, and that's just because we can't find anything structurally wrong. Like everything looked good. All the lab tests came back normal. So they get this diagnosis, but I can assure you, and I don't assure people too often because I think that's very, such a strong thing to say. <laughs> but if someone's having those problems, like alternating constipation and diarrhea, frequent bowel movements, gastrointestinal irritability, all the problems that people complain about with IBS, there is something wrong. There is mm -hmm. something wrong. And it's just that the conventional GI doctors just didn't find it, didn't know where to look, didn't know how to assess it, didn't know, you know, so there is something wrong. And it's, it's that's why I say you don't have IBS. What you what do you have? Maybe you have a, a deficiency of uh, hydrochloric acid in your stomach. Maybe you have a deficiency in the efficiency of your digestion because of not enough digestive enzymes. Maybe you have an alteration in the health or in the diversity of the microbiome, the organisms that inhabit your GI tract. Maybe you have some irritation or low level inflammation undetectable by a colonoscopy in the lining of your GI tract, making it quote leaky or permeable um, and, and you know, or maybe you have a functional motility disorder where there's not enough good peristaltic activity because of a vitamin or mineral deficiency that could happen. So there's something wrong with these people. <laughs> and just to say, oh, it's IBS here, take a drug for IBS. Yeah. Nah, that's just not yeah. how I roll. So that's what yeah. that video was about. <laughs> I love how you roll. And it very well could be, does this person, are they having anxiety a lot? Have they yes, been, you know, in a sympathetic nervous system response for such a long period of time that it started to impact their microbiome and their gut health. I mean, it's so many things. So hundred okay, percent. I'm going to have to add that to my video, right? Like, I don't think I said that one on my, uh, on, my yeah. on my video. I'm going to have to go back and make a part two. I always go back to the brain, you know me. Yeah, yeah for so, sure. You're right. hundred yeah. percent. 
<laughs> okay. So the next one in the lightning round is ringing in our ears. Ringing in the ears. Yeah. yeah. Why are people yeah. getting ringing in their ears? Well, I mean, given your, your, your previous statement about how IBS can be such a psychological or psychiatric, you know, emotional thing, that's a big one, right? That's a really big one for, for ringing in the ears. It's, there's no question about it that tinnitus, this ringing in the ears that people experience is strongly associated with stress. Why that happens is not exactly clear, but it probably has something to do with just increased amounts of tension in those finely tuned systems that are inside the inner ear that transmit sound. And, and many, many people who suffer from tinnitus will tell you that it is increased in the setting of psychological or emotional stress, in the setting of decreased sleep, which often is just you know directly tied or, or piggybacked, dovetailed with psychological or emotional stress. So that's a big one. Yeah. There are, there's a couple things that I use when people come in with ringing in the ears. One, I find that they're pretty deficient in minerals. Mm -hmm. There's also phytoembryal therapy called service tree can help with that. And then microcirculation in the brain. I find that when we look at those things, as well as like the stress, I mean, it's, it's definitely the stress and all that. That can be that can be helpful. Totally, well. there's like there, there and there's there's known associations, you know, with some of the vitamins and micronutrients. You have magnesium, you have zinc, you have uh, vitamin B12. All all can be if they are deficient, they can cause this problem. And so it would make sense, right? That like you mm -hmm. correct that deficiency or investigate that deficiency. There's also some possibility that maybe even there's some bone integrity issues. Those are tiny little fine little bones in there that communicate the the sound and mineral deficiency would correlate with decreases in bone density and maybe changes in the sort of architectural integrity of those tiny bones that yeah. there's some there's some theory there that uh kind of like a an inner ear version of osteoporosis may be at play in some cases so yeah there's a lot there yeah i had a a young client i want to say like seventh or eighth grade and he had ringing in his ears so bad it was like really disturbing he couldn't focus at school he was getting bad grades and we started seeing him here and within three months he was getting all A's and B's, the ringing in his ears went away. And wow. his mom was like, this is incredible. Like she could not believe it. And it was, I mean, the kid was, he was deficient. I mean, he was very deficient, causing a lot of stress. And and my, my theory is kind of actually like, so he was deficient in these nutrients and things going on and stress. And that deficiency was causing him to feel anxious. He was feeling uncomfortable in his body, which was causing him to show up at school and have more stress. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like this domino effect. Yeah. And once we started to restore his body and calm his nervous system down, he was able to better show up at school and the ringing started to go away. But this was like a, a year and a half ago or so. And this just that this just came into my mind as you were yeah. talking about ringing there as a story. You know, we forget a, about some of these stories. It, it, the thing that's actually even like it's a great story and it's a great case and nice work on that one. I mean, what what gratitude they must have for that help. And, but the other thing that's really remarkable about this is that like tinnitus is one of those conditions where like Western medicine basically has almost nothing to offer, right? Like there's, yeah. there's just not any treatments for it that are FDA approved. There's not drugs for it. It's a poorly understood condition. There's a few like kind of hearing aid type devices and audio masking devices and audiologists can be useful for, for people who have this, but there's not really anything that like cures it in the, in, in the way that you did. And so it makes that story even more impactful. You know? Yeah. 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 I love it. Good times. Okay. Oh, this one. Okay. This is the last one in the lightning round. And I know I have a lot of thoughts on this one. Heartburn. Oh my god. Why gosh. are people <laughs> getting heartburn? Why? I mean, should they just take Tums? <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. Well, if you go to GI doctor, it'll be even more. You got Tums, then you got H2 blockers, which is like your Zantac and Tagamet, those kind of drugs. Uh -huh. Then you got PPIs, which is like your Nexium, Prilosec, Asafex, Dexalent, and the list goes on and on and on. <laughs> um, why are people getting heartburn, right? So like, oh, it, it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing because it's the perspective that the naturopathic doctor that I'll bring to you now is so different than what the conventional GI community has to say about it. Most people think that they have heartburn because they have too much acid, right? It's an acidic thing. It's an acidic feeling. You can feel the acid in your esophagus. Sometimes it comes up in your mouth. I must have too much acid, right? Wrong. Like that is Very absolutely wrong. wrong. These people do not have too much acid. It's extremely rare 
to have more hydrochloric acid than you should. There is a condition, it's a, it's a oncology disease called Zollinger-Ellenson syndrome that causes hyperproduction of acid, but that's extremely rare. I've never seen a case of it in my whole life. Most of these people have not enough acid, believe it or not, not enough, it's called hypochlorhydria. But what they do have is they have the acid and the enzymes and their digestive juices getting somewhere where they're not supposed to get, which is the esophagus, right? The stomach in health is well-equipped to handle all this acid and the enzymes. And it's doing this washing machine effect of your food and breaking it down in an acid bath so that it can be brought down to the small intestine for absorption. If that process is occurring in the stomach and the valve at the top of the stomach isn't, isn't able to stay closed, it's called the lower esophageal sphincter, doesn't stay closed, then that stomach juice comes up into the esophagus, which is not well equipped to handle acid, and it burns, right? So heartburn is not from too much acid. It's from normal or low amounts of acid getting somewhere where they're not supposed to get, right? And so that is the problem. And then we can go from there about where the, uh, you know, wh why that happens and what to do about it. Yeah, your sphincter is not closing, guys. That's what's going on. Yeah. I love that word, sphincter. Yeah. Like sphincter's open. Yeah. It's yeah. it's fun yeah. to say. <laughs> okay. So yeah, and I, I think we need to remind people too, the reason, another reason you have such low P like the acidity is high in the stomach is to kill bacteria and viruses through the nose and through the mouth and going in the body, think about all the bacteria and all the stuff that is on our food or different things like that, that can get into our body. And it's just this beautiful thing our body does to protect yeah. us. Now, what happens to those people that are taking these medications or over-the-counter medications over a period of time? Why is that a bad thing? Right. Again, like you reiterate what you said, and you said it well, it's like, you have acid in your stomach for a reason, right? Like it's there for a reason. However you like to think about that, whether it's evolution or natural selection or God or some combination of the above, right? Like there's acid in your stomach for a reason. It's there to help you digest food, which is absolutely necessary to break it down into its component parts so they can be absorbed. It's also absolutely part of your defense system against invasion from anything that might enter your, your digestive tract. And so when you cut that acid off, which these drugs are extremely effective at doing, right? The, the proton pump inhibitors are amazingly effective at stopping hydrochloric acid secretion, then you're going to have problems, right? Like the obvious one would be you would increase the, well, you would decrease the efficiency of your digestion, right? You would like, it, your digestion would be impaired. You wouldn't break down food as well. You wouldn't be able to absorb minerals as well. And yes, case in point, osteoporosis, you need to nourish your bones with minerals, right? And so if you don't, have enough minerals because your acids shut down, your bones will suffer. Your mineral levels in your bloodstream will suffer and all the important things that minerals do uh, and, and some vitamins as well, especially B12, will go down if you don't have hydrochloric acid to help you absorb them. So deficiency states is number one. Increase in infections is, is a mm -hmm. very important number two, right? Gastrointestinal infections increase. Respiratory infections increase in people who take PPIs. They're also bad for your kidneys. They also damage the health and diversity of the microbiome in your in, in your lower in the lower part of your GI tract. And the list goes on and on of things that, you know, I, I think it's so, the way I like to simply put it is if you suppress a normal, natural, absolutely necessary biological function, something's going to happen that's bad, right? Yeah. Like it's, you know, like, you <laughs> yeah, can't do that, right? You can't do that for long periods. It's going to get time. worse. It's going to get worse. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe the worst thing is, and this is really, really frustrating is that when you suppress acid for a long time, your body tries to produce acid, right? It's trying, it knows it needs it, but it's being suppressed by the drug. It's like, like there's a cork in the system, right? And so your body's building this manufacturing capacity more and more and more. The longer you suppress your acid, the more manufacturing capacity for acid you make. And then if you forget your dose or if you decide, oh, I think I'm gonna go off the medicine or whatever, you go off the medicine, your acid comes roaring back right? Like you took down the dam and the river comes roaring back bigger than it ever was before. You'll get extreme symptoms from that. And when you do, you will then go back to being hooked on the drug for life. And mm. it's, it's, it's like, if you, if you want to sell more drugs, like great way to do it, right? Like tell people to go on the drug for a long time, then go off of it for a short time and then realize how bad it is. People are like, Oh my gosh, it must've gotten so much worse. And really yeah. what they have is rebound hyperacidity 
from long-term PPI use. And yeah, I don't think it's unfair to say it's just a scam. You know, there's better <laughs> ways, there's better ways to treat acid reflux disease. Oh yeah, hundred percent. So what are some natural ways that people can start to close the sphincter? Yeah, right, right. So <laughs> there's a bunch of things that can be done. So I, I usually start by trying to improve digestive efficiency. So if we're talking like I want, and that starts in the mouth, like chew your food better, take smaller bites, eat smaller meals, you know, try to imp- like use all the parts of your GI tract and your digestive efficiency. That can be compounded by add, uh, the addition of, of digestive enzymes, which are very helpful for helping getting that digestive process in the stomach done so that the food can move out the stomach and then you don't have as much acidity in there to worry about. I often use a, a licorice-based extract called DGL, which stands for deglycerinated licorice, which can be useful for soothing and coating purposes in the stomach and the esophagus. I will often have people elevate their bed a little bit at night, like four to six inches up, just, just to allow gravity to decrease the chances of reflux. I'll often use a little bit of melatonin, believe it or not. Melatonin actually improves the integrity of that sphincter. You know, this is a cool thing. Like, I didn't know that. That's cool. Can, yeah. Can I tell you like a cool, like cosmically cool yes. story? <laughs> okay. So when we lay down, there's a much greater risk that there's going to be acid refluxing up into our esophagus, right? Just because your whole body was like upright and then now you're laying down. So the stomach might like just more pour into the esophagus, right? A glass doesn't spill when it's upright. It spills when you turn it sideways, right? So that's point number one. When do we usually lay down? We usually lay down at night right? That's when we sleep. And so it turns out, and you do know this, that when we sleep, it's usually dark, right? So that's in nature, it's dark. So when it, when when it's dark outside, our pineal gland in our brain produces melatonin, right? Melatonin is produced in response to darkness. And that's an important part of the sleep cycle and all that stuff. But it also turns out that darkness at nighttime is when we are at greatest risk for reflux, right? So again, here's a beautiful physiologic fact. The lower esophageal sphincter, the LES that we're talking about, inside of that muscular ring, there are tons of receptors for melatonin. And when melatonin binds to those receptors, it causes the sphincter to tighten, right? And that's a beautiful thing, right? That's the way the evolution, God, nature, natural selection, whatever you want to call it, caused a hormone that's already circulating at night because of darkness to improve the tension in the lower esophageal sphincter when you lie down. That's like, that's like a miracle. That's like, that's like, I mean, it is, it's just like, it's a miraculous thing. Now, of course, a lot of people don't get enough melatonin because there's so many lights and we don't Mm. get enough natural darkness. So that's why I use a little bit of melatonin usually before bedtime to help improve that lower esophageal sphincter tone. So there you have it. I would have never, ever thought that that is, that's incredible, but yeah, it makes sense. Like you're laying down to go to sleep. So biologically let's close up the stomach. We don't want anything going, going up and we've got to do our thing when we're sleeping at night. Yeah. And so we've got a natural hormone that's already in larger amounts at night. Let's just use that to tighten up the sphincter. Beautiful. Yeah. And that's like just beautiful physiology. You know, I love it. Yeah. Oh, that's good. All right. Any other tips? We elevated the head of the bed at night. How about this one? Lose 10 pounds. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Easier said than done, right? Like yeah. don't wear, don't wear restrictive clothing on your body. And then also those extra 10 pounds. And I'm and by and I'm serious, 10 pounds can make a huge difference. And so the extra 10 pounds, especially if it's visceral, does put this squeeze effect on the gastrointestinal organs and increase the risk of acid reflux. And so I think that's a pretty like robust protocol right there. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, and I love how you said, you know, chew your food more or, you know, better and eat smaller portions. One of the things when I work with people too, is I talk about when you start thinking about food is when your digestion really happens. And so, you know, some people, if you're having the acid reflux or you have a bad relationship with food, you know, shifting that narrative in your head can help with, you know, when you start thinking about food, there's a difference between like emotional hunger and physical hunger we want to be in that physical hunger where it's like, hmm, what do I want to eat? Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah. Oh, you know, but that whole psychological aspect of, of eating is, is it's very important how we it's think so, about it. And I'm sure you covered it extensively and it's such a, a, an interesting conversation maybe for another day, but like people, yeah, the psychological parts of food and even just the words we use, like people say, I'm starving. 
you know, like that's a common thing. Like when they're hungry, they say I'm starving and, and starvation, like is a very real and present problem for lots of people in the world. But like Americans, like it's like 70% of us are overweight or obese right now. So like, it's almost like not nice to say that you're starving. Yeah. You know? like, you're definitely not starving. Like far yeah, from it. Like, you're overnourished. You're like, oh, you're over capacity. The tank is extra full and spilling out the sides. You know, you, you are not starving. You might be hungry. Like you might have some pangs for food, but like, yeah, not starving. Yeah, definitely not starving. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for participating in the lightning round. Those are just some good little topics and nuggets that I think that, you know, most people can relate to and, or they know someone. And so I love that we're shifting the narrative of getting people to think outside the box, what's natural, what's here for us. What are some things we can do without the ramifications of the negative side effects that can actually cause more dis-ease in the future. So yeah. Thank you thank for that. You. Cause I, you know, it's, it's rare that I get, I come on a lot of shows like this and like, you know, someone sort of stalking my Instagram in the way that you did, it kind of like makes me, you know, feel kind of proud, you know, I'm pretty happy about it. And I'm, yeah. it's been growing nicely over there. I've had a few kind of big hitters and it's, it's just amazing, right? Like I never would have thought, you know, going back 25 almost 30 years now that like that like making video content on a social media platform was going to be part of my career path and like yeah it is and it's a it's a cool thing because wow like the amount of people that one can reach that type of content is so much more like i on a busiest day in the office i could only ever see 15 maybe 16 17 people i had a yeah. video about magnesium the other day that got seen by 2 million people it's <laughs> You know, like, it's like, wow, what a trip, you know? And so that's, that's, yeah. so thank you for, for noticing, I suppose. Thank you. Yeah, no. And I love it. And, you know, I think it comes back to education, right? Like when you know better, you can do better. And I'm maybe calling a conspiracy theorist or whatever, but I think that our education system is pretty rigged in this country. And you and I both know that the information that we're putting out in the world is information we had to go out and seek and we had to really dig and we had to discover and work with people and figure out what works, what doesn't work. This isn't information that has always been readily available to us without putting in hours and time. And so that's why I really appreciate you because literally you're taking hours of research and time and just living, living it with real people every day. And you're putting it back out there to say, Hey guys, like, just have a listen to this and check this out. And then it, it's up to them to do with that information, what they want. Yeah. But I think it's really, really valuable what you're doing. So that's why I love having you on the show and, Thank you. you know, tell everyone where they can go follow you if they're already not following you on social media. Yeah. All this talk about Instagram, right? So it's Dr. Josh Levitt, D-R-J-O-S-H-L-E-V-I-T-T. -T. That's the Instagram handle. And uh, yeah, start there. That's a good, that's a great place to start. And um, if you uh, heard what I said about Golden Revive Plus, which is that anti-inflammatory joint health supplement that's made by my company, which is called Up Wellness. And you can find us pretty easily by just typing in Up Wellness on any of your search engines and we'll pop right up. I love it. I love it. All right, you guys go follow Dr. Josh, Dr. Josh. Thanks for coming on. And I'm going to have you on again. This is just, I think we need to have this a regular thing because yeah, I love fun. it. I really, I, I enjoy it. It's just a treat for me. And so thank you. Thank you so much for that. Thanks for joining us today, you guys, on this Happy Whole You podcast. We are so stoked that you are listening. And if you have questions or want to reach out to us, you can always email us at info at happyholeyou.com. And you know where to find us at Happy Whole You on Facebook and at Happy Whole You on Instagram. So have a wonderful day. Have a great week. And we will see you soon.